In 2021, the U.S. had one of the worst rates of maternal mortality in the country's history, according to a new report from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The report found that 1,205 people died of maternal causes in the U.S. in 2021. That represents a 40% increase from the previous year. Two new disturbing reports about mortality rates from mothers and... Racism is a serious public health threat. Welcome back to Empowerment Rx. My name is Austin. I am your host. Empowerment Rx is a podcast dedicated to exploring health inequities through a feminist lens and the reason why social justice is necessary in medicine. Before the episode begins, I do want to issue a fair content warning. This episode is going to be discussing the history of gynecology, including unconsented medical procedures, unethical research, and the torture and abuse of enslaved bodies. And so if any of this content seems disturbing to you, I do advise you to please take care of yourself and to avoid listening to that section of the podcast or avoiding this episode altogether. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about maternal health care and some of the disparities that come with that topic. I think firstly, it's really important to discuss what even is maternal health care. And so maternal health care refers to the health of women during pregnancy, childbirth, and the postnatal period. So It's an all-encompassing sort of health specialty. So it's not just focusing on pregnancy. It's not just focusing on gynecology. It's not just focusing on on the act of actually, you know, going through labor and and treating both the mother and the child. It's, you know, the before and the after as well. So just to define a couple different terms and to sort of discuss the scope of um, the maternal health care discussion we're going to be having today, um, I want to kind of define a few different healthcare providers that I'm going to be discussing um, and a few different career paths that I'm going to be discussing and talking about. So a few different type of healthcare professionals that may assist in providing maternal health care would be a presiding physician, um, a midwife, and then further um, some of the different spe- a few of the MD specialties that might be involved include an obstetrician, which is a doctor that looks after pregnant people. Um, you also have gynecologists, again, who look at reproductive health. Um, and you also have the combination OBGYN. There's also the doula, who is a pro- professional who is dedicated to helping guide um, pregnant people through childbirth. Um, and again, this is mostly for emotional, physical, and educational support. There are also many programs that do provide in-home visits um, prenatally and postnatally to, uh, again, help ensure educational and physical, emotional support for the pregnant person. I think today it's really important to note why maternal health care is so different from so many other different specialties and types of care. I think one of the reasons why maternal health care is so different is because it covers such a broad scope and range of care. It is not just necessarily one specific specialty or one specific type of care, one specific type of um, prognosis, treatment plan. Maternal health care involves a lot of different facets and a lot of different factors that are not necessarily within the doctor's control. So going back again to our earlier discussion in a previous episode of why social justice and why social factors even matter when we're talking about patient outcomes in healthcare is because a lot of the outcomes that have to do with maternal healthcare and childbirth and, and bearing a child come from social factors again and social risks that are not necessarily in the control of the of the healthcare provider. Some of the reasons why maternal healthcare is also different is just the fact that it is a very highly personal sense of care. And I mean, all medicine is highly personal, obviously, right? But when you're talking about maternal health care, you're dealing with two, two bodies, two different treatment plans, two different um, factors to take into account. You're talking about, you know, the 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 fetus that is being birthed, and you're also talking about the pregnant person, 
person who's carrying this child's term. Maternal health care, especially gynecology, also has the highest malpractice. Um, and I'm going to be discussing a little bit of the history behind why that is and some of the lingering um, relics of the past that we still experience today when it comes to um, patient mistreatment. I think another reason why maternal health care is so important to discuss is because it is so intersectional with the way that the disparities are presented. And so in order to get an understanding as to why there are so many different inequities and disparities in this specific field, it is important to understand the social structures and hierarchies that have contributed to this care not necessarily being um, the same as other types of care. So a little bit of an alarming statistic, uh, the maternal mortality rate in the United States is nearly three times higher than that of France, the country with the next highest rate. And so even in developed nations, as far as developed nations go, the United States is way above average when it comes to maternal mortality rate. And maternal mortality rate is the number of mothers that die per 100,000. And when it comes to the maternal mortality rate, and I will discuss this as the episode continues, it is not a strict disparity um again there's a lot of intersectionality here a lot of intersectionality with race a lot of intersectionality with socioeconomic level um and so these disparities although for all people for all pregnant people these these statistics are definitely alarming it is more alarming for certain groups of individuals i also want to talk about an important article from the jama network where the maternal mortality rates again with the, along these lines of intersectionality i want to believe this is maybe one of the first or one of the most important articles um, that sort of expose the disparities between racial groups in this study they studied different maternal mortality rates using census data from 1999 to 2019 and what they found that American Indians, Alaskan Natives, and Black populations experience higher maternal mortality rates. And while the specific reasons for these disparities I'm going to touch on in a little bit, I think it's really important to note a little bit of maybe more of a common sense explanation for some of these disparities. Historically, these are the groups that have been treated as subhuman, especially in these groups. The women have been historically treated um, subpar by, again, the societal systems and hierarchies that are meant to discriminate against certain individuals and certain groups of people. These are also groups of people that have experienced decades. These are also groups of people that have experienced centuries of genocide and enslavement. And so when we're talking about maternal mortality rates, we cannot just say, okay, well, all birthing people are going to experience the same level of disparity because again that's just not true there's a high level of intersectionality here and while at the end of the day a person who is receiving maternal uh maternal health care is going to be at a risk for experiencing some of these disparities and receiving um subpar care the risk level is certainly different among different groups of people i think it's also really important to understand maybe why as a developed nation the united states is lacking um, as in comparison to the other countries, while while all countries experience the same level of disparities, the United States case is is is, is very very shocking. I wouldn't say shocking, but very um, disturbing in a lot of different ways. And again, I think a lot of it, as I kind of discussed in the last episode, is a very cultural thing. I think that the United States has has not really emphasized healthcare as a. Um, again, as a, as a career of service, but I think that, that we've emphasized it as a way to um, turn a profit as, as it becomes a, um, becomes a corporation, becomes a business. Healthcare is a business, and it is in every country to a certain extent, but in the United States, this kind of mindset, again, is very limiting in the way that we address different health needs of different people. I also think that due to the large presence of a military culture, I think that Again, we focus less on healthcare and education spending, and we focus more on defense. And that's just a fact. That's an objective fact, obviously. 
um, well, I don't want to say obviously, but our defense budget is the highest out of any other country. And so when you look at that, again, healthcare has not necessarily been emphasized when it comes to funding from the federal government, research support, etc. And I think because of a lack of a unified healthcare system, not even talking about um, public, publicized, publicized um, healthcare reform, even with the private insurance um private insurance companies that we have now in the United States, it is hard to necessarily gauge the unity among these in the way that people are treated, the, the their coverage plans, um, their co-pays, et cetera, et cetera. And so because I think of a lack of this unity and also a lack of education, I think that in general, the United States has a higher maternal mortality rate than other developed nations because we simply have not taken the time or the energy to educate birthing persons on their options and their, their, um, their necessity to receive care. We haven't educated people about their options for public health insurance, right? Medicaid, Medicare. We haven't educated people on their ability to advocate for themselves. And so there's also, again, I'm going to discuss this more as the episode continues, the implicit bias, right? We live in a patriarchal society. We live in a society plagued by misogyny. And so already this this specialty, this this branch of healthcare that these birthing persons need is already sort of looked down upon not only by the general public and by our culture, it's also looked down upon by healthcare providers implicitly. I'm not saying that there's an explicit bias, right? But there is implicit bias there that women automatically, um, and again, these are all healthcare stereotypes, right? Women are hypochondriacs, women this, and there's also the, the idea of birthing children and the idea of motherhood and maternity has been clouded and sort of um, consumed by the view of, of, of the patriarchy, by the view of man. When the patriarchy and other sort of societal systems and, and viewpoints and, and, and in critical lens do not have the ability to truly capture what maternity is, what maternal healthcare is, what motherhood is, and what it's like to birth a child. So now I think it's really important to talk a little bit about the history of gynecology and maternal health to understand why disparities are amplified along racial lines. So the father of modern gynecology, as he has been credited, James Marion Sims, developed pioneering tools and surgical techniques related to women's health, related to women's reproductive health. In 1876, he was named president of the American Medical Association, and in 1880, he became president of the American Gynecological Society, an organization he helped found. However, there is a, however, his advancements and his accomplishments are not truly accomplishments and advancements because they were conducted in an, in an unethical way. Sims' research was conducted on enslaved black women without, without anesthesia. He believed in the racist notion that black people did not feel pain and therefore did not feel the need to give anesthesia to these women. James Marion Sims was born in Lancaster County, South Carolina in 1813. Sims built his reputation among rich white plantation owners by treating their enslaved workers. The reason why he took these cases was that so that he could treat enslaved workers so that they could produce and also reproduce. He started his he started his journey into researching and experimenting unethically on women when he realized that he could look inside the vagina to understand different injuries. He later reflected in his autobiography, The Story of my life on the advantages of on the advantages of finding people that were essentially his property to work on there was never a time that i could not at any day have had a subject for operation 
According to him, this was the most memorable time of his life. Today, we know three of the names of the female fistula patients from Sim's own record. Lucy, Anarka, and Betsy. During the procedures, patients were completely naked and asked to perch on their knees and bend forward onto their elbows so their heads rested on their hands. Lucy endured an hour-long surgery, screaming and crying out in pain as nearly a dozen other doctors watched. She later contracted blood poisoning from a lack of hygiene. Sims wrote, I thought she was going to die. It took Lucy two or three months to recover entirely from the effects of the operation. And again, Sims' decision to not use anesthesia was due to his belief, a false belief, that black people did not experience pain like white people did, which is still a notion that persists today. Sim was also involved in other types of pseudoscience as well. He experimented on enslaved children who could not consent in order to treat Trismus nascentium, which now is known as neonatal tetanus. Sims also believed that African Americans were less intelligent than white people and thought it was because their skulls grew too quickly around their brain. He would operate on African American children using a shoemaker's tool to pry their bones apart and loosen their skulls. When Sim would operate on patients at his new hospital in New York, he would believe that if any of his patients died, it was the sloth and ignorance of their mothers and the black midwives who attended them. He'd never took blame for anything that went wrong with the procedures. So the history of gynecology is absolutely disgusting and, and shocking and disturbing, but it's also not the first instance in which black bodies have been used to profit and to um, benefit their white counterparts. It's important to note that because of the power imbalance, there is absolutely no way that these women could have consented. Even if Sims uh, stated that these women needed these life-saving procedures, they wanted these life-saving procedures, because of the fact that they were literally enslaved black women, they had no opportunity consent and no opportunity to receive the proper care that they needed in order to heal from these injuries. In a lot of ways, Sims' research is absolutely Sims research can absolutely be classified as torture. It's unethical, it was painful, and it was absolutely unnecessary to perform the procedures in the way that he did. And again, I think this shadow of white supremacy still lingers on the way that we even talk about this. Again, this article that I was reading, a lot of the wording still praises him for the work that he did because he invented different procedures, he invented the, the speculum. It still doesn't change the fact that the women who were victims of his crimes never actually got to speak out against them against him never got to see their situation rectified and again this is not the first time nor the last time that black bodies have been used to profit off of i'm thinking more so with other medical test subjects such as henrietta Lacks. i'm also thinking of the tuskegee syphilis experiment there's this long-standing history of black bodies being disposable and black bodies being used in order to again profit and profit for white consumption so even if chattel slavery was abolished black bodies are still under a certain type of slavery to a system that doesn't recognize them as being equal counterparts um, and equal consenting adults as to their white counterparts this notion this false pseudoscience that goes back to craniometrics it goes back to this idea of pain it goes back to kidney anatomy these ideas that black individuals are biologically different than other racial groups is absolutely a false uh, notion and is absolutely a dangerous and, and, and based in white supremacy. It's a dangerous notion. But the issue is, is that these notions and these stereotypes still exist today with many people believing them to be fact. And because these different notions and stereotypes are still considered to be fact, again, it is impossible to not only address the implicit bias that many physicians and other healthcare providers have, but it's also impossible to address the explicit bias, these false notions of healthcare that are directly killing Black individuals. It does not matter how much wealth, how much influence, how much power a Black person has in this country, 
they're still going to be experiencing greater health disparities and a lack of good health outcomes that a white person might receive due to the fact that these issues are systemic and they have not necessarily been addressed in the way that they need to be. And again, this is not only present in maternal health care, health care disparities in general fall along racial lines. Again, we're talking about these social determinants of health. We talk about social stressors. Well, racism and living in a discriminatory social system and being in a social a place on the social hierarchy that is producing chronic stress, it is going to lead to things like hypertension, um, diabetes, higher incidences of these, not because of culture, not because of lifestyle, but because of the fact that these are unavoidable life circumstances that produce these diseases. We also have to talk about the way that individuals cope. And coping is not something that an individual necessarily um, is responsible for on their own, right? So we talk about cultural changes, right? A lot of white doctors will say, well, you know, it's the culture that you're in. It's the type of food that you're eating when we're talking about diseases that can be treated with diet, for example, like diabetes and hypertension. But the issue is, is that in order to be a culturally competent doctor and a doctor that is able to provide a full range of care, including um, taking into account those social stressors, you have to understand that the reason that the culture exists like that is to deal with these social stressors. And so until those social stressors are dealt with and rectified. Coping is not something that is necessarily in the control of the individual. It's their way to live. It's their way to deal with the different stressors that they that they have to live with. I also think it's really important to obviously discuss the impact of misogyny and patriarchy when we're talking about maternal health care in particular, because um, because misogyny greatly impacts the way in which women and other birthing persons are treated and the way that they receive care. Women stereotypically have been portrayed as hypochondriacs. And so when we go to, when they go to receive care from a physician or any type of other healthcare provider, a lot of times they're dismissed. Their concerns are not heard. They're not advocated for by their by their healthcare provider. Again, their healthcare and their, their care plan is absolutely clouded by the view of man. You also have to take into account social and economic inequities besides race and misogyny, right? So socioeconomic level, if you live in a rural area and you don't have access to care, you can't afford, right? And so somebody who lives in a rural area who needs to receive maternal health care, they might not be able to take off time off work. The nearest healthcare facility that they have access to might be miles away and they might not necessarily have proper transportation to get there. They may not have health coverage. They might not be able to afford the costs associated. They might also have lack of education, so they might not necessarily know about proper um, proper prenatal treatment and proper postnatal treatment, right, to make sure that both um, the birthing person, the parent, and the child are existing in a healthy way after birth. But again, we can't solely focus on one issue because these issues intersect and they create different views for each individual person. We can't generalize and say, okay, well, this is... If we do this, this is going to fix this issue because it's so uniquely specific to each person. Because, again, if we're talking about socioeconomic inequality, black wealth and white wealth are not equivalent at all. Even the richest black person in the world may have more liquid cash than a white person. But at the end of the day, white people possess more societal wealth and they possess more uh, they possess more societal wealth. And that is something that you cannot buy. So we've discussed some of the reasons why these disparities exist. But what are some of the efforts that we can take to address these disparities? is to address the implicit bias and stereotypes that still plague different racial groups when it comes to healthcare, especially maternal healthcare. It's teaching physicians, it's having physicians and other healthcare providers take more humanities-based courses, having them provide more, having them gain more clinical experience working with different underserved populations. It's also education for the general public, right? Having Americans learn to trust science, having Americans learn to um, 
having Americans learn to trust their healthcare providers, having them learn to unlearn these stereotypes that have plagued their families for generations. It's also from advocacy from groups that are more privileged, understanding that unless we make a stand to protect the underserved and under under to protect the underserved people in our society, the underserved birthing persons, the under, under, uh, underserved mother. These issues are not going to be resolved. It takes resilience and it takes extra effort to ensure that different groups of people are receiving the things that they need. So that means being an advocate, whether you work in the healthcare profession or not. It means when you are working in the healthcare industry, that you take advantage of your privilege to advocate for your patients that might necessarily have a voice. It means as a family, when you have somebody who's undergoing you know, maternity and undergoing pregnancy, that you take the time to advocate for them and you take time to advocate for their child. It also means that we advocate for policy that is going to increase the availability of resources and address these inequities that create these disparities. It's addressing the black-white wealth gap. It's addressing systemic stressors. It's providing additional resources to overcome these systemic barriers. And forms of advocacy, well, it starts, it can be really small as talking to your family about these different disparities, helping them to understand different stereotypes that aren't true regarding maternal health care to understand, having to understand the history of maternal health care as well. It can be doing things such as this podcast, or it can be as large as going into the healthcare. It can be as large as going into the healthcare profession and doing the advocacy work yourself and going out and whether or not there's policy to support your actions and whether you're not getting, you're getting the resources, but going in, out there and protecting your underserved populations and advocating for them in order to, again, make sure these mothers are being well taken care of and making sure that they are giving, getting everything they need in order to decrease these maternal mortality rates. There needs to be more research put into understanding women's anatomy, understanding the gynecology, and understanding um, neonatal treatments. It's also necessary to understand, again, the, the intersectionality and the reason why feminism is so important to this issue because without understanding these inequities and without addressing the other systemic forms of discrimination that provide these chronic stressors and provide this, this framework for these people to experience these disparities, because again, social determinants of health, the care that they're receiving is only 30% of the issue. It's everything else in their life that is going to contribute overall to their picture of health. And so it's, again, necessary to address and to advocate against these um, systemic stressors and to understand how we can start to um, take care of and, and work with these different social factors. And that includes for advocating for more social welfare programs, expanding healthcare coverage, um, expanding programs for, for pregnant people, for getting their prenatal vitam vitamins, for feeding their child post-birth, for providing supplies that they may need to recover from birth. And so again, we need to not only address policy that is regarding the systemic barriers that these people face, but also in general, just increasing resource, resource availability for everyone, because at the end of the day, more resources is going to enable healthcare providers to do more. And then that combined with the advocacy and um, dealing with these social determinants of health will overall hopefully provide a better picture of health and decrease some of these maternal mortality rates. I think it's also really important to note that we absolutely, in this healthcare profession, need to protect black women we need to be in the rooms we need to be advocating for them we need to be we need to be advocating for them and we need to be staying with them to make sure that they're receiving the proper care that they need because these are the least protected group of people in our society and they're experiencing these deaths at an unimaginable rate they're experiencing these chronic diseases 
related to or related not to maternal health care. And again, knowing this, as a healthcare provider being in this career of service, your job is to protect and take care of your most your most served and your most underserved. And so it's going to take extra effort and extra intention to protect these this group of people. But at the end of the day, there is a huge crisis, a huge problem. And in order to save precious, valuable lives, it's going to take standing up for what what is right. I want to thank you for listening to this episode of Empowerment Rx about maternal health care in the United States. Next episode is going to focus more specifically broadly. This next episode is going to focus broadly on black health care in the United States. And again, talking about racial disparities when it comes to health inequities. I want to thank you again for watching. I want to thank you again for listening to Empower- Empowerment Rx. This show is brought to you by a second year student at Duke University. I am self-produced, self-hosted, self-managed. If you like the podcast, please go ahead and share it. And if you have any ideas for future topics, please do let me know. Empowerment RX is available on Amazon Music, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I'll see you in the next episode.